Thanks, Poetry Night. Uh, it's been a long time coming, I guess. Um, one of many uh, chat books. So this is it. The <laughs> Elements um, by Tom with an H. Uh, so I'll start off. I'll read like the first one out of here. It's Air. <clears throat> I am the constant invisible hug. I begin to dance at the kiss of the sun. I carry foul scents and fond memories. I am the vast ocean above the land and sea. I agitate the water. I move the earth. I enrage the fire. I carry your messages to the thrones of the divine. I am the swift poet dancing in the treetops on a crisp autumn evening. You do not know the full extent of my power, but you harness it to do your bidding anyway. I am the shag carpet and the wool socks, passing the spark and carrying the boom. Without me, you die. I am your first breath and your last. I have to share, you have to share me with the birds, the bees, the trees, even the fish in the sea. I resonated the voices of your ancestors in the past, through the present, and into the future. Will you heed their call? Air. So the chapbook's got five poems about the elements. Um, fifth one being the fifth element. We'll get to that. I guess I'll just keep reading through these. Um, fire. I am the disco inferno, a danger to everything I touch. I am the passion in the poet's pen and the gleam of you in your parents' young eyes. I am the power of change. My energy excites, but I am a fickle friend, for I can be a fiend. My fury is a beast of heat when unleashed, scorching all the land. I am the caffeine in your coffee, the fuel in your gas tank, the spark of your life. I am a beacon in the night. I make the weather for better or for worse. I am a bit of the Big Bang. Before that, I was dreaming. I am the rainbow's end. Your ancestors worshipped me and cursed me. I see everything watching you at night in the mirror of the moon. Someday, I will destroy you. But for now, I'll love you. Thanks. Water. I am the Mickey Mouse molecule, a necessity of life and a bringer of death. I am the blood of everything. I carry the rainbow within my diamond heart. I can jump into the sky and hide in the atmosphere, surfing my way to distant lands. I am the level everything seeks. Around and around I reign supreme. 
I can crack apart mountains and move them where I want. I pass through you, maybe once or twice a day. I am in your heart and in your breath. You lived in me before you were born and will dissolve back into me when you are dead. I am only so much, though, and I am very old. I partied with your ancestors. A lot. Needless to say, I have been around. I have passed through everything, more times than I can remember. You should think about that. Water. Working our way around the elements. Earth. I am the great attractor, dancing in the void. I am where you come from and where you will return. I am the keeper of hidden treasures. I nourish those who walk on my back even though they rape me with their greed. I am a constant, fixed point, but I am always moving. I have a thin skin, but a core of solid iron. I am your prison and your palace. I've seen you come and go, each time consuming a little bit more of me. All your ancestors are inside me, and I am inside you. You have had a million legs, a thousand legs, a hundred legs, eight, six, four, two, none. You may not believe it, but we are all one. Thanks. And the final element. I am the culmination of four dreams, an intricate puzzle of interlocking improbable possibilities. I am the poet, the painter, the fighter pilot, and the priest. I control fire. I shape the earth. I float on water. And I can harness the wind. I am the big bada boom. I am a product of the Big Bang and time's patient plot. I am my ancestors' dreams and nightmares. I need the harvest of the earth to eat. I need the fluid flow of the water to drink. I need the wisp of life in the air to breathe. And I need the spark of the fire to help me see. But they all need me in order to live. I am the spirit. I am the glue. I am the fifth element, the big bada-boom. Five bucks each. You can see them in there. Uh, the photographs in the back are kind of my artistic work that I've been doing. I'm going to be featuring these in the December Art Walk over at Presence Art Studio, or Presence Dance Studio, which is the door you go into uh, next to the Bellingham Bar and Grill, the old John, downtown Johnny's. So, yeah, that'll be uh, first Friday of December. You can come and see my stuff. Thank you. And now for some other things that uh, I have written. Um, I'm going to go with some haiku and start reading a few of these for you. The Masquerade. Every day we dance the dance. The masks become flesh. Little whirlwinds only serve to distract us from the tornadoes. Look at the small things. Sometimes, within the details, larger things reside. Oh, this one's about work. I've got a hot date, 
dressed in my refinery. She's a crude mistress. Beware the lungfish. When all of us have burned out, they will emerge wet. Oh, monkeys, yes. Monkeys love the sun, not for money, but for nuts. The, the sun warms their nuts. Love is a monkey. Sometimes it's warm and fuzzy, sometimes throwing poop. Bent over backwards, trying to just inch forward. Limbo is loveless. A wind from the north. Bovine fertilized fields. Smells like derriere. Acts of poetry. Just metaphornication. The words doing it. All right. This, this was a, a limerick. It's like the only limerick that I've written since I was probably in, in, uh, elementary school. But this came to me while I was trying to go out hiking in August and August through September. Actually, August through October. You'll understand. There seems to be a problem with the rain and every week it seems to be the same. All week it's so sunny, but somehow it's funny by week's end, the rain's falling again. Going to some sonnets here. Uh, I premiered this one at uh, Mike's uh, kitchen session last time. There are no cakes for you to eat dancing on the keen edge of a brass dagger's blade. No cookies, drugs, or drink for enhancing this awkward circumstance that you have made. Your professional demeanor remains in contrast to the splitting of your souls, but your impending doom still entertains anticipation of your blood below. Why did you choose to jump on a dagger's edge with dancing shoes and seek to draw a crowd of morbid minds around you like a hedge where cakes and drinks and drugs are not allowed? So as your blood upon the floor is spilt, should you or your crowd feel more guilt? Grandeur seen in the optical display of sweet sunlight and raindrops in the sky, reflection and refraction of Saul's rays, release the colors that in each reside. Only half of what is the whole we see, a covenant, a bridge from there to here. No gold is found behind that rain-soaked tree, although it's there it seemed the end appeared. In searching for that pot of gold, we strain to find the end of the rainbow outside in a world of shrouding mists and rain perceiving not what our perceptions hide. The beauty of the rainbow, that's the gold. We cannot touch, but with our hearts we hold. So grand is the mountain that looms above the lowlands of mankind. Violently made by forces man knows very little of, its flame, the heat that helped him forge his blade. Upon the summit man finds life quite hard, for the air is thin, and that affects his brain. He climbs, thinking that there he'll touch the stars, but once on top only encounters pain. Yet the valley he sees, his woodland home, below him stretches, and he understands with his climbing atop this mountain's dome. He's always had the world in his hands. 
Loves the summit and the valley our soul. To climb to its peak is to see below. you like this one, Dobby. Of Avalon in ancient times it said, A misty labyrinth may show the way To where the once and future king was led. Of Avalon there's little talk today. Today the way's a mystery to all, but the few who were fortunate enough to have listened when they received the call. They say the way to Avalon is rough. I say the way to Avalon is found quite easily near any local shore, and splendor in its kingdom is unbound. The labyrinth is here, it's lost, no more. In a kayak, gliding, trouble's gone. You'll find your labyrinth to Avalon. Around and around the rains returning carried as clouds on winds designed distant, torrential downpours ever all washing with tons of water in timeless torment. As one, small raindrops free upon the ground by gravity get grabbed and dragged downhill, transporting mighty mountains pound by pound, destined to build new land as delta fill. Sweeping clean the land, the water washes unbound debris downstream, relentlessly attempting to level all that it touches, including raise its reservoir of the sea. Were I the land, all rain could not undo the mountain that's the memory of you. That was written for my friend uh, Virginia Renzo, who died a while ago. This one I wrote for Shell. Eternally, every evening turning, teasing and tempting us to twist our heads. Her light is a brilliant bonfire burning, warming not body but hearts instead. She smiles most when closest to the fire, without the fear of ever getting burned. Her fullness is voluptuous desire, the love of men reflected and returned. So there never was, so there was never any chance for me, for when a goddess calls, you hasten quick. Consider me a long-lost casualty of Moonlight's many mighty magic tricks. So there's not, you could ask, I could deny, when her moonlight's reflected in your eyes. A Dragon's Lament. The craving, always building, burning in a deeper place than mortal man can know. What's my necessity is such a sin. Blah, blah, blah is how all their stories go. So I ask myself, why can't I just quit? But it's too easy to intimidate the fearful fools into providing it. The only fare that truly satiates. This need... I do not know from where it comes, nor why your uncorrupted tastes so good. I only really want to have some fun, but I'm demonized by my choice of food. Of late, I find in this society just a tasteless lack of virginity. Dragon's Lament, that's what I call that one. All right, I'll go three more sonnets here. And then we'll go into a few more free versey things. Heated and hammered and hardened steel, sharpened shard of a fallen meteor, a wood handle touched by lightning's peel and a pommel of heaviest earthen ore. 
The blood grew, fills, flowing in gruesome feast, when unsheathed in the hand of noble knight, astride his barded, snorting, hellish beast, ordained by lord and land, and trained to fight. But sometimes the sword trumps the nobility, and the fury of the elements wins the war waging between humanity and the rising army of all our sins. What of the knights alive ordained today? Think you sword? or nobility holds sway. With broken blade and battle scars bloody, the weary warrior weeps and waits his fate. Spilled life does mix and make the ground muddy as ravens circle and his passing wait. Under the torment of the noonday sun, those that still live fight on and try to win, but fallen men know that their day is done and they may never live to fight again. As the battle passes, so do the men, yet some may find the strength within to live. This warrior wakes to face his death again, for in his heart there still is love to give. Though love's battle is known to take its toll, death can never rend my immortal soul. In the heat of the heart of the fire, the unseen center of the conflagration, the Viking chieftain on his funeral pyre, the blackened skin and melting decoration. In life he was an impending legend, his sword had severed heads and captured land. Meeting his, hand, meet, he, meeting his end with his skullcap bludgeoned by men made of cloth and their lord's left hand. So ashes to ashes and dust to dust, off to battle and Valhalla he goes, lifted with the smoke into Odin's trust, the Valkyrie helping to guide his soul. Love is the flame, and, in my point of view, Valhalla's home, and my Valkyrie, you. This was homework. If anyone knows what homework is here at Poetry Night, we kind of get a um, writing prompt. This one was uh, what to do with yourself after you, you're dead, or something along those lines. In death... There is still hope. The insubstantial me removed, leaving the solid matter of existence behind, desiccated of all liquids by flame. All the fat and tar melted away, the solid bonds of the bones broken, all reduced to a pile of fine powder. Take this material of me and mix it into some mortar. Form me into a brick. Build with me a skyscraper, a bridge, a bulkhead, a bunker. Make a solid, substantial wall to rival the fabricated ones I erected around me when I lived. Mold me into any form you like. A garden gnome, a paving stone, a doorstep. Heat me in a furnace with some sand until I melt and fuse into glass. Roll me into sheets and continue to look through me. Blow me into a vessel, a vase, a bottle, a bong. Place me into porcelain and fire me in a kiln, the finest bone china. I am a little teapot, or cup, or saucer. Pour me into some plaster and make the impression of your newborn baby's hands, or feet, or face. Combine me with some pigments and slop me on a palette and go out and paint the town red, or blue, or gray, or whatever color I am when I'm dead. Because in death, there is still hope of finally being useful. Uh, this was written 
about Jack McCarthy, I guess. This is kind of my Jack McCarthy poem. The Grand Orator, a real stand-up guy, came before the people to be among them once again. Well received as always to make his last avowals. On his way, he said, to wherever. The people listened in joyful sadness and praised him with their words, words he relished always, taking notes to remember. And the people came to understand that the weight of the world now rested on their shoulders. He knew deeply, as did they, that never more in this life would he again see them or hear them speak their words. But those little pieces of himself that he left hanging in the trees and carved in the rocks and floating in the water and flying in the air and singing in their hearts will be there for them still and help guide them back to him wherever. Here's a good one. Although one hears the phrase hard as a rock, this planet's crust is, in fact, considered brittle and thin, but still better than human skin. The largest organ of the body, the skin breathes in the sunshine, exhales color, and cries red and salty tears. It is our first set of clothes and our funeral robe. We know our skins are porous and weak, and we have come to be ashamed of them, so we hide our hides with others' stolen cloaks and daggers, telling ourselves that they are better than the first, more functional and protective, richer and more elegant. They stratify and elevate us. They separate and clarify us. They segregate and deny us until we have all become the crust of the earth, brittle and thin, hard as a rock, but still no better than human skin. All right, here's a myth. The wet nurse. She was there when he blew up. She was with his many wives, extended family, and servants. They all went to pieces when he blew. He pushed them all away, so far away with his fury, and she right along with them. So far out and away, they all froze in the vast emptiness. But she was used to it. She'd been around a long time. She'd seen it all before, his explosive tantrums. So she slowly gathered herself together and circled around the neighborhood and waited, because when she is frozen, time meant nothing to her. He finally cooled down and collected himself together, and then that spark that attracts all the hot little bodies and tight little circles around him ignited those passions once again. As they assembled themselves around him in their whirling dervish dance, they flirted and flashed their hot young flesh at him like they always do. They're never the same when they come back together. They never remember, not like her. They're all just a bit mixed up, so hot and haughty at first, all fireworks and sin, subduction and eruption, never satisfied with how they look. But finally, she spied a hot little hussy hanging around his habitable zone, one with a solid core and real magnetism. And a, thin and a thin skin slowly forming. She knew this was the chance, the one she'd been waiting for. She knew she could help this girl. It was then she decided to start throwing her snowballs. When she had gathered herself up, she gathered herself up into a fine assortment of frozen fun. 
Besides, it made her feel good, throwing her snowballs. She didn't really like them in this early stage, these smoldering, hotty, rocky tarts. They needed it to cool down. Besides, she knew they really couldn't feel it. They were so full of gas and chemicals, and so many still smoking rock. So she had fun with her target practice, and she's pretty good. Soon she'd asserted most of herself upon the lucky chosen girl. Once immersed deeply in that child, she learned her name was Gaia. She told Gaia that her name was Water. And so Water began from the inside to purify the young Gaia, to nurture and refine her. She coaxed many gems from her burning soul and placed them for decorations in Gaia's thickening thin skin. Then, when a woman's heart of steel was finally forged and water could be contained no longer, she burst forth from inside, encircling and enveloping her young ingenue in a ritual nuptial cleansing. For it was at this moment when he noticed Gaia glittering in his radiance for the first time, so he said. But she knew, she always knew, what he always told them. It's always when she encircles them in her crystal clear carnal glory that he notices. He can't help but notice. He was just as lusty as always, and he couldn't keep his piercing energetic rays from knocking up young Gaia again and again and again. Gaia was a fertile creature, and water was there for Gaia. She was always there for them, her chosen ones, the ones with promise. It was just her way. Always had been. So Water took the new life, nursed and nurtured it for Gaia while she was off doing it with him, having a good time on a different exotic place of her surface. But Water was always nearby to receive what he and Gaia were creating and see that it got a healthy upbringing, a fair start and a fine foothold until Mother Earth stepped up, stopped being a little hussy, and assumed her well-deserved glory. Water said she'll always be there for the earth and her children until he blows up again, pushing everybody away, far away, so far away they freeze. Then she'll just gather herself up again as snowballs, circling in the emptiness of space, waiting once more to be the wet nurse of life. All right, here's the last one. Your mother's tears are falling heavy on your head, and all you can do is look down and try to see where the rain is coming from. And you cringe as you see in a distorted, tiny, upside-down splash of a reflection what is truly behind you in the curve of a teardrop out of the corner of your eyes. A brief, battering bit of a glimpse that strikes like a cold steel nail straight into the heartwood of your being, and fixes you forever fastened to the ground because when you can see your whole life ahead of you chasing you from behind with big, sharp, nasty teeth, mouths open, ready to bite down and feed on your essence, you need to be grounded as you realize you have to look up to see where the rain comes from. Thank you. You've seen it, you can't unsee it. Why would you want to? You've seen it, you've seen it.
Impossible for you, my friend.